Hey everybody, this is Don Newman and this is Living a Life Worth Remembering. Uh, this is the show that's dedicated to helping you and I live a life that would continue to live on even after our own lifetime has ended. In the last couple of weeks, I've had numerous people that uh, I've uh, interviewed and talked with and today I'm very, very excited because I'm not only going to be talking to somebody that really I see as a specialist in the field when it comes to leadership, he's also a very, very good friend. Uh, we got the privilege of helping him uh, with his last book project, and we're also going to be working with him some future projects. And so I want to welcome to the show today, Sean Lovejoy, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Courage to Lead. He's an author, was a mega church pastor, and just a great influencer of leadership. And today, I'm going to be talking to him about leadership that lasts. Uh, Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, man, it's an honor to be with you and hope we can add some value today. That's fantastic. Well, I, I think about when you and I first met, you know, uh, years ago when I was a church planter and was just trying to get enough encouragement to not quit and to stay in the game. You know, I found myself going to any and everything that could bring that encouragement. One of the big places I went was Exponential. And that was the first place that you and I met uh, when you were uh, working with church planters or churchplanting.com. And uh, you and I had a chance to talk and I could tell by your accent, you could probably tell by my accent that we, we were both from the South and come to find out, uh, you know, it was really cool that we had that connection in Alabama. And when I said, have you ever heard of top of the river, you immediately brought up fried pickles. Do you remember that? Fried pickles. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, fried pickles is a very, very good thing. You and I can relate uh, to those things and stuff. But uh, just over the years, uh, everybody, Sean has had a great influence on not just my life, but a lot of people's life. And I've seen him not only personally lead people into leadership, but I've seen him expand that. And so uh, Sean, just kind of open up and one of the things, you know, I knew you when you were a church planter and really a mega church pastor, uh, you know, at Mountain Lake there in Cumming, Georgia, but uh, you recently made the move to go into, uh, you know, this full-time venture called Courage to Lead. Talk about that transition and, and why you made that transition and share a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, well, of course, you know this part of my story. You know, I had a life before vocational ministry. I was a real estate developer, real estate agent, top-selling real estate agent in the county. I don't know if I ever told you that. The year I felt like God was calling me into vocational ministry. So even though I later became a church planter and pastor, like I always felt like an executive trapped in a pastor's body. <laughs> I was always better between Sundays. I felt like the church grew in spite of my preaching, not because of it. And yet our church grew. So there was some permission, you know, that came with that because it was buttoned up. It was healthy. We had good systems. We had a healthy culture. We built a, a killer team. And I realized over time that they didn't teach that in seminary. And I didn't learn any of that in seminary. And I could help pastors with that. So I started coaching pastors back in 2001. And then over time, of course, began working with some executive marketplace teams as well. And just realized over time, kind of like you, I'm a pretty good pastor. I'm really good at this, you know, and for me, that was coaching and it's not recent anymore. I mean, it's over five years ago, you know, I made 
one of the toughest decisions I've ever made to hand off my baby that had grown into a full grown mega church and uh, sell the ship of courage full time to coach leaders. And since then it's been a wild ride. We've scaled from one coach to 19 coaches and from Los Angeles to New York. And we're coaching ministry and marketplace leaders all over the place. We talk about helping leaders and their teams grow healthier and grow faster. Wow. Well, I, I I've seen you do it and uh, I've seen, uh, you know, the impact upon people that I've met that, uh, you know, that have been part of your coaching network or just, you know, they picked up uh, Measuring Success, your most recent book that is directed to leaders. And I love that title, Measuring Success, because uh, you and I talked about, you know, what's the, what's the problem here? Uh, how are we really measuring success? And I never will forget somebody, uh, a long time ago, one of those jobs I was working uh, back in the deep woods of Wakulla, uh, there were some things that we had to do that required measuring. And somebody, rather than having a yardstick, had measured out kind of a pole. And basically, that was the length we were supposed to be doing things. It was kind of like saying, no, this is four yards long. We've made it four yards long. Just use this when you're positioning the different things we were doing. And I remember somebody had broken off a piece of it, and we didn't know it. And the whole time we were setting this operation up, we were all measuring everything wrong because what we were using to measure by was wrong. And I, I thought of that illustration as I was thinking about your book and just, you know, there's so many illustrations in there about how people measure success uh, wrong and how we should measure it right. Just share uh, some of those that are real, you know, valuable to that concept. Sure. Well, I say that success is being loved and, uh, loved and respected by those closest to you. You know, that's not those on Facebook, by the way, you know, or LinkedIn or Instagram. It's by your family, you know, by your team. And for 20 years, you know, I led healthy teams. You know, God just gave me ability to do that. You got you to gotta be that culture. You know, you got to build that culture. And you have to hold other people accountable to kind of living that culture. And you got to not get your identity tied up in what you do for a living and who you, you know, your title or position. A lot of people ask me, like, how are you able to go from real estate to church planner to mega church pastor to now CEO? But my identity is none of those things. My identity is Sean Lovejoy, child of God, who happened to be a pastor of a mega church for a while. But I wasn't any happier as a megachurch pastor than I was as a church planter, a starving church planter, because my identity is not tied to that. And I think that's, by the way, why some pastors hang on too long, because they have no identity outside of, you know, everybody needing them. And it's why maybe the greatest challenge facing the American church today is the succession challenge, because, you know, men and women, senior leaders have not learned how to reproduce themselves. They've been afraid to reproduce themselves, you know, because somebody might replace them. But actually it is our best legacy, you know, to replace ourselves and, and reproduce ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I think of a couple of examples in my own life of people that I know. And um, I, I know one person comes to mind right now that y you'd say hands down, that person was the best person 
ever when it came to filling the pulpit or sharing that message, uh, you know, ever. But there's nobody there after yeah. he's gone. It's a challenge. It's it's a great challenge. And you and I are old enough to remember, Don. There there was a time when pastors, you know, got a reputation for moving around too much. The average tenure was like eighteen months at a certain point. But I think with the age of, you know, kind of non denominational churches, a lot of founding pastors, uh, you know, all of that dynamic. Um, I think some pastors stay too long. You can't stay too long. And I tell pastors, you're going to leave your church. You are an interim leader. You're going to leave either when nobody wants you to leave or when everybody wants you to leave. <laughs> so our goal for pastors is for them to leave when no one wants them to leave. I got to leave when no one wanted me to leave, not when everybody was trying to force me out because I was in a wheelchair trying to get up to the pulpit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or flamed out somehow or moral failure out. So that's why we talk at Courage to Lead about growing healthier and growing faster. And I am convinced, I'm, I'm all for the Great Commission, just not at the expense of the Great Commandment, Don. And in today's church growth age, again, where you can look around and find somebody on Instagram doing it always bigger and faster than you are, there's a tendency to try to get in that rat race and get on that treadmill. And, you know, it's never enough. And you become this angry, frustrated leader trying to get everything better all the time, make everybody perfect and nothing ever meets your expectations. I was there, man, as a young leader. But over time, I kind of learned to like focus on the great commandment. And guess what? The great commission began to take care of itself. And I actually think that's what we get when we see in Acts chapter two. You know, they weren't focused on growth per se as much as they were focused on like koinonia and meeting together and building relationships where different races and tribes called each other brother and sister for the first time. And the watching world took note of the culture they had built in the church and like, man, we want relationships like that. Yeah. You know, but you see some of these fast growing churches now where the church staffs, okay, resemble a Jerry Springer episode, you know, on Monday afternoons, yeah. you know, and it's like, we've, we've gotten things out of order. We've gotten things out of order. We've pursued growth at the expense of health. And we work with a lot of fast growing churches. The faster you grow, the faster things can become unhealthy. And I know you've seen that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's true. I don't know if Charles Spurgeon said it, but talked about, you know, our test isn't uh, dealing with the hard things. It's success, you know, paraphrasing it's success that really tests us. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but um, uh, you know, when Tracy and I, when we were going through uh, exponential and planting a church, you know, we were planting the church, we were in a high school and really the church was, was growing at a decent rate. We were real happy with the church. We were, uh, probably about 70, 80 people. I was coaching football at the high school. I mean, my, my whole goal back then, Sean, was I just, I, I, I wasn't even wanting to make a bunch of money. My wife sometimes would be like, now you got to make some money. But I, I just wanted to be like the mayor of Winter Springs and be at the high school and be in the middle of the community. But I did need to get some income going. So I went to work at the publishing company, Zulon, where I work now, part-time. Well, seven years into it, they're, you know, they just kept promoting me, just the favor of God here. And at the same time, I loved it. And it's kind of like you talking about finding out this is what I'm really good at. Well, I'm really good at, at, at coaching people and leading people and building a vision for this and, and a lot of ministry 
tons of ministry happens through what I do now. But it got to a point where it became apparent to my leadership and the group that I was working with, pastors that were helping me, hey, should you not consider just doing that? Because every time you talk about a book, you light up. Every time you share. And so at the height of it working good, we took some time and prayed about it, and we made that decision. And there was not one negative thing with anybody. My leadership even said, hey, because uh, we worked out a plan for the church to work within two churches we were working with and to continue on. And, and so I made that transition, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that later the thoughts came in, you failed. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. And, and I'll tell you what the Lord did, and it kind of goes with what you're saying. He, he began to speak to me and, and talk about what real success is. And if success is a building that continues way past what you've done, then, you know, then Ephesus and those other churches weren't successful because they're no longer around. And what he said is success is doing what I've asked you to do. And that will always leave an impact. And you know what's really cool? The school that we met in, the, the next church that came in, and you would probably know the pastor, because he's part, you know, uh, Chris Hodges is his pastor. Uh, you know, their church helped plant this church. Well, he came into the high school, and I was so thrilled to find out, because I was concerned about the high school, that a church was meeting in that high school. And uh, he reached out to meet with me, and I was like, cool, this will be great. I'd love to hear what they're doing. And the whole reason he did is he wanted to thank me for building goodwill in that school. And he wanted to tell me that they were reaping a harvest that we had known. It's great. And, and you could look at how the enemy could have got me all sideways on that and got me tied up in that. But you, you, you look at this and I, I agree. That's why I'm sharing that. Cause I agree totally that sometimes there's a time to leave, but it's what God wants and there's a right time to leave. And so um, I couldn't agree with that more. You know what the the thread with both of us though we weren't running from something we were running to something you know and yeah. I think that is a great filter you know for leaders who wonder you know should I leave should I not leave you know you don't leave in the midst of COVID which yeah. is as of the time of this recording we're right in the middle of now's the bad time to leave you know you leave when things are good you know and so we we both got to kind of leave at a high point. And it really propelled us to future success, you know. So you, you leave when nobody wants you to leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there was people that weren't glad for me to leave, but they understood the calling and stuff. I, I know that teams is a very big passion for you. I know you and I are both big sports fans, and we've had a great time, you know, kidding each other back and forth. If I could shift the camera, I can't do it now, but you'd see on my wall over here, I have three uh prints that are Bear Bryant prints. So uh, we have that common bond too. But uh, I, you know, I can't find, uh, you know, obviously the greatest team builder in the world was Jesus. Uh, but you look at some other great team builders and on the books that are behind me on my shelf, you know, I've got Dean Smith's book. I've got John Wooden's book. You know, I, I think about uh, people that built teams and what they did. And I know that that's a passion. I know that you're you know, going to be focused on a project in the future. And we're going to share your website and share your resources at the end. But I know you're focused on a, on a new process of helping bu people build killer teams. Uh, that just so intrigued me when you shared that with me recently. 
share a little bit about that and what the passion is behind that. Yeah, so using Jesus as the reference point, you know, he built a, a killer team that changed the world after he left, by the way, and outlived him. And um, But you, you, do a, you do a study in the Gospels about all the time Jesus is trying to get away from people. Jesus was really an introvert. <laughs> He's always yeah. stiff-arming the crowds and trying to get away with his friends. You know, really, he was saying, I, I want to spend less time with the crowds and more time doing team building. Why do I see ministry and marketplace leaders get in trouble in their ministry and marketplace organizations? They lead the opposite of Jesus. They stiff arm their team. They don't have time to be with their team because they're making themselves available to the masses. It's literally the opposite of the way Jesus built. He stiff armed the crowds to, to be, to spend more time with the leaders. And that's where we've got to position ourselves. We call it building a killer team without killing yourself and your team. We built you know, we took all of our coaching that we've been delivering one-on-one for nearly 20 years, and we built this eight-week coaching intensive, 27 coaching modules, along with interaction with a live personal coach on a day-by-day basis that walks you through all that with downloadable worksheets and uploads and all of that stuff that kind of helps them lead meetings that matter, create a sense of urgency you know, develop a, a performance and review process with their teams, all of that to like foster togetherness and bolster accountability and structure for growth and all of that kind of stuff. So it's one of the great loves and passions of my life. We call it killer teams coaching. Wow. I, I think you're exactly right. You know, when somebody, you know, builds teams, I mean, I could, again, John Wooden, how, how many people talk about his influence? Look at his influence that has gone down through the people that coached underneath them to other people. And, you know, through that pyramid and through the principles he taught, I mean, are continuing to be taught. So there, there's nothing, there's nothing that has the impact as a team because you're not doing it alone. You're doing it with people. And so I'm excited for that to come out. And I know there's going to be a lot of people impacted. One of the things you shared that impacted me the most, and I want you to hit on this because I know, I know there's a lot of leaders that I'm connected with and there's people that come on and listen to these shows that, you know, I'm trying to speak to leaders. And obviously today what, what I'm hoping to convey and bring out is that there are some positive leadership principles that'll make your leadership memorable, that it won't be something that you won't see in a book in a positive way. It'll be, I mean, it'll be something in a book in a positive way that'll be carried on to future generations. Uh, that's something that's important. But, you know, you see people get tripped up in leadership. And I'll I'll tell you, a blind spot for me, and you helped me with this tremendously. You talked about not always being available to everybody all the time. And uh, the pastoral side of me, uh, you can can talk to my team here that I work with on a consistent basis. The door is always open. You got my cell phone number. I'm here. And, uh, you know, you don't even realize you get addicted to being needed. You, you don't realize that you put yourself in that position and you think, well, that's what a good leader would do. But when you talked about that change in your life and how it impacted uh, where it mattered most, because I think I've heard you say, I know I've heard Mark Madison say, but I think I've heard you say it more. The place that you want to be famous is at home. And uh, I, I, that really impacted me because it caused me to say, I'm not available and not worry about what somebody thinks. Share, share how that came about and just really 
what that what that means well as you know i talk about this in the book that we published with you guys measuring success i wasn't always a healthy leader and there was a time when a church of nearly a thousand people everyone had my cell phone and i was always available and accessible but i kind of had some wake call wake up calls in my life without hitting a total train wreck you know the scales fell off my eyes enough to realize i was not healthy and my marriage wasn't great this is 20 years ago and um i'd made myself available and accessible to everybody else at the expense of my own health and my own relationship with god and people so i repented to god my wife my church I told them publicly I wasn't going to make myself unequivocally available anymore, change my cell phone. And I told them, hey, my best gift to you is not my availability and accessibility to you and being at every meeting and, and, and accessible to you on a whim. It's to be healthy, to have a white-hot relationship with God, uh, an intimate relationship with my wife, to be a great dad, and to hear God clearly from God. That's my responsibility to you. But for some reason, pastors, once again, have turned that upside down to think, man, to be an effective leader, I've got to always be available. When you're always available and you're always on, you can't work on you. You can't work on the ministry. You're working in the ministry. You're not working on the ministry. You're working tactically. You're not working strategically. And you're you're working professionally, but you're not working spiritually. So this is really the metal. And at the end of the day, I've identified really what sets apart the great leaders from the average leaders. It's really a way of thinking. They think more, they read more, they Mm. think more, and they're always in a coaching relationship. They've got time and resources allotted for it. And they realize if they get better, everyone else, everything else will get better. But if we run around managing, putting out fires all the time and reacting all the time, we, we don't have time, space, or money to really, work on ourselves, work on our craft, become a better leader, become a better communicator. All of those things that we need to get better at. Yeah. Yeah. I know the, um, you know, sometimes people will look at, you know, resources you need to have to, to get coaching. And uh, I can tell you um, one of the, uh, one of the things that I got and I want it at one of those giveaways they do at exponential. I won one year of free coaching. Uh, for a church planter. Uh, you'd probably know the guy. I can't remember his name, but I mean to tell you, the one hour per month that he would be on a Zoom, no, it wasn't Zoom, it was, uh, anyway, he was on a call with uh, Tracy and I, my wife. Absolutely was life-changing. Yeah. It was life-changing. And, you know, he didn't sit there and lecture us. He asked questions and helped us make decisions. But the process of coming alongside really, really did make a difference. And I've never heard a leader, you know, say, hey, I invested in this coaching program or I have a coach ever say they regret it. I'm not saying there aren't those cases out there or somebody that has gone through something, but I've heard the opposite. It was worth the investment. Uh, So just, uh, you know, a shout out to you and what you're doing. Uh, I believe in it so much. And that's why anybody and everybody that I know that uh, whether they're in business leadership or they're in ministry leadership, guys, I totally recommend uh, Sean Lovejoy as a great resource to, to find that coaching. The last thing I wanted to hit on, um, and I thought about this a little bit uh, because I wanted, I wanted to, to throw this question out in a certain way, and I felt like I got how I wanted to, to pose it or to bring it about. You know, the last 10, 15 years, I know you've seen leaders that have 
burned out and you've seen leaders that have taken themselves out. And, um, you know, there's nothing that is just, you know, more, uh, not discouraging. It is discouraging, but it's like, you, you just, man, that it just, you didn't want to go, it shouldn't be that way. And obviously we cannot control every circumstance. We get back to that situation of trying to be the rescuer for everybody. And obviously we can't, and you can't make everybody's decision. But, you know, I would like to see and, and believing to see a world where people uh, don't just flame out in a corner with no help, but they get the help that they need before that happens and in all kinds of ways, you know. Um, the, the question I wanted to ask was, what, how can, first, I mean, first off, obviously you're sharing how we can take care of ourselves. We've been talking about that. But I wanted to ask, if you're in situations where you feel somebody, man, maybe, maybe you're feeling like they're getting out there or maybe, hey, what's going on with that person? Are they doing okay? And I'm not talking about being nosy. I'm talking about being a brother. What could you say to all of us that are in leadership that we would be more aware of it and also be able to reach out and to help in any way to keep that from happening with someone around us? Yeah. Well, if I had a nickel for every leader that had fallen that I know, I'd be a wealthy man. But if I had a penny for every person who said to me, I wish I'd have spoken up, I'd be a wealthy man. You know, so the Holy Spirit speaks to us, guides us. We see things, we hear things. I tell leaders all the time, you shouldn't listen to most people. (laughs) Most people don't have a clue and they do not have your best interests at heart. Frankly, they've got an agenda. But find you some people who love God, love the vision of your life, for your life, and they love you. And if you find some people that meet all three of those criteria, you better freaking listen. Can I say freaking on your interview? You know, you, 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 be, you better listen to them. And then if you're in that position, you got to have that courageous conversation. Say, hey, you know I love you. I, I, I love you. I care about you. There's no agenda by what I'm going to ask you. And it could be totally me. But, man, I have my radar up right now. My antennas are up. And I see some things that – are concerning for me. And I'm only bringing this up because I love you, but I need to know what's going on. I didn't know how you're going. You know, you may not realize it, but you've turned into a mean cuss (laughs) and you're the senior pastor. (laughs) What's going on, you know, or or whatever. Or I've realized how you're joking around with her in the office. And I think it's over the line, you know, um, I'm not sure it sends the best message you want to send. You may not mean it that way, but I care about you. I have your backside. I have your back. And I've only spoken to you about this. I'm only going to talk to you about this. And I want you to know I'm a safe person that you can talk to. And man, when you, when you couch it that way, it's amazing. I call it inviting them into the open. Wow. You know, I've had a lot of leaders say to me, well, since you brought it up, you know, and there are some things, you know, they know that aren't healthy, that aren't right. And they need some help. And they need a safe, healthy person to, to, to walk with them through it. Yeah. And um, I think one of the reasons we don't do that, Don, is we get caught up in how they're going to respond. You know, like we picture an episode of a Jerry Springer show or something, right. you know, and like they're going to throw their shirt and throw a chair at us and, you know, whatever. But, but their response is not our responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you've always talked about, you know, where did that name Courage to Lead come from? And I love what you say. I've heard you say it several times because it takes courage to lead. It takes courage. 
And you think about leadership, you know, I love John Maxwell's description. It's not a position, it's influence. And you think of when you're stepping in to make that decision to step in and, and bring something up, it does take courage. Cause I've, you know, uh, we've seen it in the past with some major ministries, but I've seen it firsthand to where some of the people that got closest were concerned about their position and standing. And Correct. so they, you know, it, it, at the end, it was selfishness. Uh, you know, it was selfishness and a, and a willing to not have courage. But I, I just, you know, I look and I, I go without trying to know everybody's business, you know, just believing God could put us in people's lives and God could use us in a role of leadership to maybe ask the question at the right time. Because I know other stories where somebody, and many times they were nobodies. I mean, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of it was James Robinson's story, you know, had a secret life. And basically it was some guy, I don't know it well enough to give the exact, but it was like somebody working in a hotel came and asked him a question. And God used that person to break something in his life. And, but yet you can have other people that are concerned about position and stuff. So I think getting real with each other and being interested enough and loving each other, again, back to the great commandment, uh, is really going to be a key to it. And so, yeah, my observation, Don, and all these ministry leaders that were in high profile positions that fail somehow, sometimes it was the opposite sex, sometimes it was money, sometimes it was a lot, you know, greed, whatever. But what every single one of those have in common, if you think about it, is that senior leader had created a culture of fear whereby the people closest to them did not have feel permission to ask them the tough questions yeah. or hold them accountable. So I have tried to create an environment and culture, and now we coach teams how to do it, where at the top, you're inviting and creating a culture of permission so that if you aren't behaving the way you're supposed to behave, when you don't live out the values, when you tend to get unhealthy, that the people around you feel permission to challenge you on it. We, when we're recording this right on, you know, in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, I came in about eight weeks into the pandemic. This is probably like in early May. Okay. And I just apologized to my team because I said, I, I, guys, I've not been living our values. Okay. Our number one value at Courage to Leave is health. And I want to confess to you, I've fallen off the wagon. I haven't worked out in six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been working at, in front of my laptop on Zoom in my pajamas, maybe my underwear at times without anybody seeing. And I've not been to the gym, you know, one time in my house. And I said, oh, you guys an apology. And I want you to hold me accountable to that. You know, and if ever you see me not living out our values, I've got to be the culture we want to build. I've got to be healthy. And that's not just physically, it's emotions, relationally, spiritually. So I'm just always looking for ways to kind of bring that up and remind everybody, not all of us need coaching. And if you get defensive, when someone tries to help you point out a blind spot, you frankly just shut down that culture of honesty and you shut down your best opportunity to get better, you know? And so as a leader, you, you want to tend to get the, no, no, I, that's not what I meant. No, I didn't, uh, uh, you know, and argue with them. But instead I've taught leaders to say, thank you for sharing that with me. It means a lot that you would come to me. Yeah. And even though I might be internally disagreeing with them at times, just to say, yeah. let me process that. Let me just process that. 
before I get defensive about it. And you know what? The longer I rest on it, the Holy Spirit says, Sean, they're right. They're 100% right. So own it. Repent of it. And man, godly sorrow leads to repentance, you know, which leads to healing, which leads to growth, you know, which leads to influence, which leads to impact. And that's what we try to help leaders and their teams do. Yeah. I think that culture of, of you know, being open and being able to receive stuff uh, is huge um, because, again, you know, God can use someone that's close to you. You know, the, the wounds of a brother, faithful, the wounds of a brother. I mean, you know, yes, yeah. it can wound you. Yeah. Taught our team that just again last week, just say, Hey guys, wounds from a friend can be trusted. So I, I just want you to know, we're going to build a culture where we wound each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just told our team that a week or two yeah. ago. I said, an enemy multiplies kisses. We are not going to multiply yeah. kisses around here. Yeah. I don't want you to multiply kisses to me. I'm not going to do that to you. Like we're going to, iron sharpens iron. We're going to sharpen each other. We're going to constantly make each other better. And there's a fun, fulfilling part of that, Don. Like you're in the people business. So you wake up every day, think about how you can sharpen people, make people better and coach them up, invest in them. And it is your greatest legacy, the people you build. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Honestly, that's, that's, you know, the whole hope with everything I'm doing here and the future and, you know, you're an encourager to me on the health thing too, man. I, I saw you the other day. You're like, I've exercised, checked. I've had, you know, prayer time, checked. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I've been sitting here drinking that same cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I think, you know, uh, you know, obviously I, you know, I enjoy our friendship. You're, you're somebody that I count as a friend, but I tell you what, I've, I love having people that I'm connected to that challenge me um, that, you know, that there's something that is going on in their life that I enjoy being friends with them, but they, they challenge me. And uh, I appreciate, you know, all of that you've done uh, over time because it's helped me a lot. I wouldn't even be doing this really. And honestly, at this point without some challenges from you to, Hey, step out, step out and do it. So, you know, you're having an influence on me. I'm having an influence on others. And, and really, this is what the kingdom of God is all about as we follow him. Amen. Yeah. And the commitment we make, Don, I tell my friends this. I sit on some church boards for some pastors. And of course, I, I have coaches now that I'm coaching and clients. I just I'm, I'm constantly saying, hey, just prom-. I said this to my teammate, Kevin, just as early as week four last. He was on vacation last week. I just said, hey, man, just promise me we're going to finish well together. Promise me, promise me, you'll finish well, and we'll finish well together. Let's hold each other accountable to that, because um, it can all, you know, one stupid decision, and you don't have to be guilty these days. You just have to be accused. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter. So, yeah. it, it's just important, more important than ever before, that we seek to live a life above reproach. You know, people are getting crucified by liking someone's tweets these days. (laughs) So you just have to, as a leader, you have to realize, yeah, you can look at it negatively that I live in a fishbowl. Or you can say, hey, I live in a fishbowl. Everybody's watching my life. That means I have more opportunity for influence. I have more opportunity for impact. They're looking at a post I made on Instagram about my morning schedule and somehow it's impacting their lives. That's, that's a privilege, but a great responsibility. You know what I'm saying? That sometimes I forget. 
I forget as well. And we have to be reminded of the sacred stewardship we have as a leader to influence yeah. other people. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, in closing, just share a little bit about what's next for Sean Lovejoy and uh, what's ahead of you. Yeah, so, you know, COVID 19's changed a lot for a lot of leaders. You know, up before COVID, you really couldn't sign on with Curse to Lead for less than a year at a time because we really believe we want a relationship. You know, we can make our biggest impact with leaders and their teams over time. Everybody's sort of apprehensive about long term <laughs> decisions right now. So we've sort of rolled out at the onset of COVID. It's been highly effective, kind of a 90 day coaching intensive where we kind of assess their culture, their team, their systems and attack that weakest gear, you know, we call it. Yeah. And man, it's just, you know, right now it's more important. Therefore leaders have some coaching. There's so many landmines and you can't avoid other leaders pain if you've got a coach walking you through it. So we try to provide that, you know, through our 90 day coaching intensive and we've got, we're, we work on more leaders than ever before. Don. We've actually grown through the pandemic. If you can believe it. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I know you guys have had a great influence and the future is very bright because we're always going to need the people that understand coaching and that can feed into it. So Sean, buddy, I, I can't thank you enough for being on here and just sharing some thoughts uh, on leadership. Uh, guys, I just encourage you. Uh, we're going to share at the end here. You know, I, I'll tell you how much I believe in your book. I don't have a copy in my office because I just gave it away to somebody. And as I came in, we're actually going to put a slide up at the end uh, of measuring success. But uh, you guys, uh, you need to check that book out because I, I've always said I felt like that book was like being going through my own personal coaching experience. So maybe you've never been coached before or maybe you're looking to, hey, let me explore this ideal of coaching. I can't encourage you enough to check it out. And it may begin by just getting that book because that book is like you going through your own coaching experience. In fact, I love the way that Sean wrote it and the way he speaks through it because it, it makes you feel like you're being spoken to and you're being coached and you're being led to make changes in your life. But I want to encourage you as we share the information at the end here to go on and check out his website, uh, you know, reach out, uh, you know, sign up and get information and uh, make a difference. Make a choice to make a difference in your life uh, because it really will make a difference. Sean, love you, man. Appreciate you being here with me today. Great to be on with you today, man. Well, everybody, thank you so much for being on here. Today was all about uh, leadership that last, listening to Sean Lovejoy. just want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up yet for uh, living a life worth remembering. You can go to Coach Don Newman on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, but also make sure you select the notifications so you'll get notified. I've got some really awesome guests that'll be coming in the future that I would love for you to be a part of and, and be able to take away from them. Uh, also, you can go to iTunes and you can subscribe uh, to Living a Life Worth Remembering uh, on iTunes and you can listen to it in that format. But uh, here uh, with our show, our whole emphasis is helping people be able to live a life that continues to live on even after their own lifetime has ended. And in the future, we're going to talk to a whole bunch of people that are learning how to do that from different areas in life. And so I encourage you to keep tuned in. Please share this with other people. Please comment. And again, please reach out to Sean Lovejoy's organization at CourageLead.com and also check out the book, Measuring Success. God bless you guys. 
I'll be praying that the ripples you create today will become the waves in the future. God bless you.